theyeshiva.net. Okay, so up until now, this afternoon, I'm sure you heard from the perspective of Hashkafa, of Hasidus, what is a marriage, how do we relate to marriage. I'm going to come from a very different perspective. I'm going to come from the perspective of a couple's therapist. And what do I see in my office? What do I see in marriages? And, and, and what does a marriage look like? What's a good marriage and what's a bad marriage? And sometimes you might think a couple's therapist, the perspective of a couple's therapist is, well, I only get to see the bad marriages. So how can I compare the good marriages and the bad marriages? The truth is, if I'm doing my job correctly, I get to see the good marriages and the bad marriages. And not only that, I get to see the same couple who was in a bad marriage, and I get to see them six months later in a good marriage. Yanki and Khani walk into my office in a bad marriage, six months later they're in a good marriage, and I get to see the dynamics. And it's really, that's what I want to share to you today, with, with you today. What is a good marriage? What's happening inside of a good marriage? And what's happening inside of a bad marriage? It's not so intuitive. It's not what you might think. And the truth is, if you go back 40 years, 40, 50 years, Couples therapy was, was a disaster. It was the blind leading the blind. You read the literature, you read the books on couples therapy, they didn't know what they were doing. And then, some, of the, some researchers, about 40 years ago, 45 years ago, decided we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking at the bad marriages to try to figure out what's wrong. Let's look at the good marriages. Let's see what these guys are doing right. And for the last 40 years, 50 years, researchers have been studying good marriages and comparing them to bad marriages and a lot of couples therapy is based on that. Let's see what they're doing. And one of, one of the most interesting findings was, when they, when they compared good marriages and bad marriages, almost every single problem that was found in the, in, in the bad marriages appeared in the good marriages. Almost every single, every single thing they argued about. There was nothing that a bad marriage argued about. No difference, no family difference, no hashkafa difference. That the good marriages didn't have the exact same problem. That was one of the most interesting findings. And they started to compare. So what are the people in the good marriages doing? And that's what I want to share with you today. What does a good marriage look like? And let's compare it to a bad marriage. Um, before I go into the comparison, and I'm going to show, there's a whole bunch of slides that I really want to just show you. What, what is bad now? What's, what's happening inside a problematic marriage? What's happening inside a good marriage? So what ha- what's happening in a marriage when it works? And what's happening in a marriage when it doesn't? But before that, I want to just just some very basic concepts about marriage that are that are really counterintuitive, because we think of marriage as this deep, close relationship. It is, but marriage is inherently unstable. It's it's the most unstable relationship. A couple's natural tendency is to drift apart. Every other relationship. If, if I if I haven't spoken to my brother in three weeks, and I meet him tonight. Wherever the relationship was three weeks ago, if we were this close or this close, wherever the relationship was three weeks ago, that's exactly where where it is. And if I meet a friend that I haven't seen in six months, wherever we left off, we pick up. If I meet my wife after two hours, the relationship is different than it was two hours ago. If, if, I, if the second the husband and wife part, the relationship starts to drift apart. That is the natural tendency of a marriage. It has to, it's the only relationship that has to constantly be brought together. It's naturally, it's inherently unstable. And this makes it different than almost any other relationship. And therefore, there's, there's, there's a, every single interaction counts. What does that mean? 
if the natural state of a marriage is to drift, that's the natural state. So I say goodbye to my wife in the morning, and we start to drift apart. Then I maybe see her in the afternoon, I come home for lunch, there's an opportunity to bring us back together. Every single interaction in an unstable relationship, in a stable relationship with a friend, I can make mistakes, I cannot speak to him for a couple of days, it usually works itself out. In a marriage, every interaction is going to bring the marriage this way or this way. If I walk into the kitchen, and my wife is in the kitchen, and I smile and say, hi, the marriage just got a little bit closer. If I ignore her and I just go to the fridge, the marriage just drifted apart. Every single interaction counts. And every moment in the marriage counts. And it, so it's, if I went to sleep at night, and I said I love you to my wife, tomorrow morning, i got to do it again. Because a whole night went by, and in that, those, that, those moments we were drifting. It's one of the most important things to remember about a marriage. Um, what's the difference between business and marriage? And that sounds like a very, very funny question, but it's not so funny. If, if I ask my wife to do something for me, if I ask my wife to, to meet me at 9 o'clock, and she shows up at 9.15, okay, so I might get a little bit upset, but come on, 9.15, okay, whatever. The next day she shows up at 9.15 again, and the next day at 9.20, and the next day at 9.15, and she just can't get it right. Now imagine this was an employee of mine, or this was a business relationship. In a business relationship, the behavior is the primary thing. If I have an employee, and I say he has to be here at 9 o'clock, then he has to be there at 9 o'clock. If he shows up 9.15 or 9.30, and every day he has a good excuse, it's a good excuse, carpool, my kid was sick, this happened, I had a cold, I went to sleep late last night. Every day there's a good excuse. After a while, enough excuses, because the behavior is the primary thing, and the reason for the behavior is secondary. In a marriage, it doesn't work that way. In a marriage, the behavior is secondary. The reason why my wife came late is the most important thing. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But these, these are two things I want, you, I want you to remember as we walk through some of the things tonight. In a marriage, number one, it's the most unstable relationship. It's constantly drifting apart. And number two, in the marriage, the relationship is primary. In a business, the reason why the behavior is primary, in a business, if I'm sitting and talking, there's two things that go on in every conversation. There's the content of the conversation, what we're talking about, and then there's the process of the conversation, how we're talking to each other. In a marriage, it's how we're talking to each other that makes the biggest difference. Not what, but how. In a business, the most important thing is what. If, if, I'm, if I'm having a business meeting with you, and we, I, we go out for lunch, we go to a beautiful restaurant, we're having such a nice conversation, and at the end of the meeting I say to you, you know what, I'm, I'm not in, I'm not in this deal, you, were, you thought you'd get a million dollars from me, you're not. But, but would you like to go out next week again for lunch? No. You're not coming. It's, it's over. The whole friendly relationship, that whole process of friendship is over because the content is over. In marriage it's just the opposite. Whatever happens with the content, it's the relationship, it's the friendship that's the most important thing. The reason why I'm putting this over here is because something that I see happening over and over and over again in my office is, let's say one spouse is very forgetful. And in a business relation, so a line that I've heard is, you know, if, if his boss, or if her boss would, would tell her something, she would never forget. So how come she forgets when, when it's me? That's a good question. That's a good question, but it's not a business. And the, the reason why she doesn't forget by her boss 
She's, because the behavior is primary. She knows she's going to get fired. The reason why she forgets with her husband may be something deep in the relationship with her husband that has to be explored. One other thing that before we go into the comparison is marriage is a commitment. Friendships are not. One line that I hear so many times is, all my friends love me, only my wife doesn't. So there's something wrong. And the answer to that is very simple. All your friends love you, that's why they're your friends. The ones who don't love you are not your friends. You get to choose. The guys that I don't get along with, I say good Shabbos to, and that's it. Your wife, it's a commitment. The two of you just committed. The fact, commitment means that we assume that the relationship will be challenged. A friendship is not a commitment. If it's challenged, it's over. Big deal. Find new friends. A marriage is a commitment. Commitment, by definition, means that we, it's going to be challenged. If, it's, if, if I don't think it's going to be challenged, then why commit? The very fact that marriage is a commitment means it's going to be challenged. I've had people give me a blank stare in my office and say, I didn't know this was going to be hard. I didn't know, I didn't know this takes work. Mar- marriage takes work. I heard this most recently from a guy married 12 years who had completely distanced himself from his wife. Good guy. And he was nice. And he was a good father. And he was good. But he, this marriage just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I mean, we don't have a relationship. Really? We need, we need to work on a relationship? It takes a lot of work. That's what a commitment is. Okay. One, this is like a, a disqualifier. Just everything that I'm going to be talking about now in this presentation assumes that there is one. You're in a marriage with no mental illness, no personality disorders, and no severe trauma in the background. If there is, if you suspect there is, then please, 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 I should have wrote please another ten times, but it would have gotten boring. Please seek out outside help immediately. Almost always, there is something that can be done if the situation is addressed right away. And almost always, there's very little that can be done if the situation is addressed 20 years later. So I'm going to go through a lot of things that work in a good marriage. If you try to make the marriage work in that way, and it's just not possible, because there's somebody on the other side that, no matter what I do, it doesn't work. It's just one, there's, everything is happening in the wrong way. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of um, emotional dysregulation. Things that, that clearly seem dysfunctional in a relationship. And no matter what I do within the realm of trying to do it right, then you'll see how to do it right. If it doesn't work, that's a red flag. If, if, the, spou- if the spouse cannot... I'm going you know, to be going through a whole bunch of rules. Checklist. Check, check, check. What if I just can't do it? I just can't. I can't get myself to, to behave in this way. I just can't. No matter how hard I try, I cannot behave the way people in a good marriage behave. It's a red flag. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but I cannot do it. I know this is the right thing to do, but no matter what, my emotions don't allow me to do it. That's a red flag. That's a person that needs help. And that would be one example. But there are many other examples. Somebody who has an, an anger problem. Somebody who who cannot see their personality. So somebody who's extremely narcissistic, who's only able to see things from their perspective, can't see that there's another side at all. These are emotional issues that need, that need to be addressed. People can be helped. There are situations where narcissism can be helped. Borderline personality can be helped. Uh, OCD can be helped. Anxiety disorders can be helped. Depression can be helped. The, all these things can be helped. And what happens is, if you don't get help at the beginning, 
the marriage starts to crumble because of these issues. And so many issues pile up. And if the, when people show up in therapist's office 10, 15, 20 years later, we're not even dealing with the narcissism or the borderline or the, or the OCD. We're dealing with all the problems that came about because of that. And it's, it's this problem upon problem upon problem. Pretty much, pretty much almost every problem we carry into adulthood came out of the dynamics between us and our parents. Or us and our caretaking environment. So, but you notice the choice of my words. It came out of the dynamic in the caretaking environment. There's something going on there. And, and, and it's hard to say. Fault means they did something bad. So let, let me give you an example. Let's say, right, I'm eight years old. Yeah. I came off the bus and I'm crying to my mother that somebody bullied me. That Chaim bullied me. And, I, and my mother says, nah, Chaim, you, know, you don't care about Chaim. We don't care about Chaim. Yeah, you're a big boy. You don't, want, you don't care about that. Now my mother really is a good person. She's a warm person. She's a caring person. She loves me. And that's why she said what she said. But she just totally invalidated me. Yeah. She just made me feel like two cents basically gave me the message that my emotions, I need to suppress my emotions, push them down, and that's going to come out in all kinds of stuff, because I'm a really, really sensitive person, and my mother didn't realize how sensitive I am, and she didn't realize what damage this was doing to me, and when I'm 30 years old, crying to my therapist about that, can I really blame my mother? I mean, <laughs> okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a, 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 a bunch of scenarios. We're, we're going to compare... Problematic marriage to a happy marriage. What ha- what's going on in the kitchen, in the bedroom? What is happening in a problematic, problematic marriage? What is happening in a happy marriage? In a problematic marriage, I know exactly who you are. I know my spouse. In a happy marriage, I always remain curious about who you are. I don't know who you are. This is one of the most important this in marriage. And they found this literally across the board. When you compare happy marriages to, to, to problematic marriages, this is one of the key points. You might think that in a, in a, in a good marriage, we just kind of know each other. And, and, you know, we make statements like, we know each other so well. We're like one person. We can read each other's minds. We finish each other's sentences. If this sounds familiar to any of you, look out. Because the problems are because you don't know each other. You you can finish each other's sentences until you can't. You know each other so well until you don't. You never... The panemius of a person is that deep. There's always another layer to uncover. Always another layer to uncover. Okay, in a happy marriage, we don't know each other. We are two very different people, and I have no idea what my spouse is thinking. There was a book that was written uh, a while back, that, not, not so while back, about five, six years ago, that, it's a very popular book, a pop culture book, it was a big book in the world of psychology, and it really, it, it, the, what the book, the, the thesis of the book was, that because marriage lacks mystery, because marriage lacks mystery, intimacy in the marriage dies. When a marriage lacks mystery, intimacy dies. And basically, the, in the book, the author, she goes through, the, she discusses the idea that when that intimacy thrives in, in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere of not knowing, of discovery. 
The intimacy is an act of discovery, of not knowing. It's something new, something exciting. Excitement can only live in the not knowing. The second I know my spouse, intimacy dies. And she, this was based on studies, and this was based... And, and in the book, she, she expresses, like, she struggles with this. And what's, what's the answer to this? And, and does that mean that marriage, you know, every marriage can only last five, ten years? I, I, I read the book, I saw it as almost like a peerish on... The, 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 the removal, moving away two weeks, and, 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 and creating that mystery again, and starting that mystery over again. But always knowing that you will never know your wife, you will never ever know her, is will keep the marriage fresh. There's always something to discover. Will keep intimacy fresh, and a lot of what we're going to go through is based on this concept. Um, one one of the outcomes of this in a problematic marriage. One of the things that's always said from one spouse to the other is, "You should know what I mean without me telling you." This is, this is something I hear in my office all the time. Yeah, I walked into, I, 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 you walk into the kitchen, you see, you see the mess. Or, or you went into the car and you see the gas tank is empty. There's certain things that people should just know. And without me telling you, you or, or don't you, don't you know what I, don't you know what I need emotionally? Don't you know that I, I love, I love, Touch? Don't you know that I love a hug and kiss when you come home? Don't I have to tell you? I have to ask for it? And the answer is, we'll see later why. But yes, the answer is yes. You have to ask for it. In a happy marriage, what people say is, I need to tell you what I need, or you won't know. Because maybe, because I don't know, maybe you don't know what a hug means to me. You don't know what anything means to me until I tell you. If the 40, 50, 60 years... You have more information and more information and more information, but you still don't know. And one of the most dangerous lines in a marriage, what, what the, probably the line that destroys marriages more than any other, is you should know what I need without me telling you. It's, it, it's, it's a myth. This idea that you know, you know, she just knows my soul, she just gets me, and that's what I'm looking for, that's the kind of person I want. It's a myth. There is no such thing. There is no such animal on the planet. Maybe for certain things she does, and that's, what, that's where the myth comes from. But in a good marriage, we talk to each other. We tell each other, this is something that I really need. Another aspect, this all comes out of the idea of we don't know each other. This idea that we don't know each other has a lot of branches. This is another branch. In a problematic marriage, we fight over what happened. What happened yesterday? In a happy marriage, we accept that we will never agree about what happened. Literally. If I, a husband comes home at 7 o'clock, and the wife is sitting in the kitchen crying, because you promised me you're coming home at 6, I called you at 2 o'clock, you told me you're coming home at 6, and now it's 7. And the husband says, you're out of mind. I told you I'm coming. I said 6 o'clock. That's what I said. I said 6 o'clock. And the wife says, no, you said 7 o'clock. Welcome to marriage. That, that's a normal scene in a marriage. That's normal. That happens in every marriage. In good marriages, bad marriages, that's a normal thing. And if you start getting into a fight over who's right and who's wrong, what happened? It's clear to me what happened. It, it, will, it will never be resolved. You'll be fighting about this until you're 95 years old. There's a Gemara, actually, a client brought in a Gemara and showed me a, a Yushalmi that says, I went through this with a client once in session, and he brought next week, he came with a Yushalmi, and Yushalmi says, 
that when the two Adem, when, when there's Drisha Chakira on two Adem, and the Adem are exactly alike. Everything, everything that they say is exact. When every single detail matches perfectly, two people cannot see the same reality exactly the same. Always hold on to that in a marriage. And, and there, there, are, there are things that come out of it. We end up fighting. Once I know, let's say that scene that I just spoke about. The husband walks at 7 o'clock, the wife is fuming at the husband. And, and she starts, starts she, he walks at 7 o'clock, and she gives him a steer, and she storms out of the kitchen, and now there's a fight. Now there's a fight, for the, and later, the, he doesn't know what happened. All he knows is he walked into the house, she stormed out of the kitchen. Later they start fighting. But later they start talking about what happened. He says, he, she says, I thought you said, it should, I know you said six. He says, he says, no, I said seven. The fight is over really at that point. Because he's angry. He says, what, you just, you just ignored me. I walked in that kitchen and you ignored me. Yeah, because in her universe, in her reality, she ignored him because she thought, in her world, that he, he just came home an hour later than he promised her. In his world, he came home on time. In a marriage, that's enough. Once you understand, oh, oh, so we, so we understood reality differently. That's the that's the happy marriage. In a happy marriage, we accept that we will never agree about what happened. So once we know, oh, I have my reality. So when you stormed out of the kitchen, you were living in your reality. You were living in this reality of of me coming home at six o'clock. Ah, I got it. Okay, fight's over. We're good. If you look at the slide, can you see the difference? Anybody notice the difference? Oh, got it? Why did you do that? Okay, somebody does something, a spouse does something totally, completely unthoughtful. Right? I, I, I say, I make a comment, my wife makes a comment in front of my in-laws that so completely embarrasses me. Now, I could ask her later, when we discuss in the room, I could ask her two ways. Why did you do that? That's the first one. I'm not really interested in why I did that. It's a statement. The second one is, why, why, did, why did you do that? Like, what, what, what happened that made you want to say that? Why did you do that? In a happy marriage, this question is asked the second way. But if my spouse did something and I don't understand it, as long as I'm living in that place of I don't know my spouse... I can ask it as a question. I, I'm curious. I'm curious. I want to know what happened so we could work this out in the future. That's very different than what is the matter with you? Why did you do that? That means I know what you did. That's that's coming from a place of knowing. If you notice, all these things that we're talking about are fall into that category of I know. I know you, or I don't know you. I know you, or I don't know you. If I know you, then I'm going to say, What's the matter with you? Why did you do that? I'm not really asking a question because I know you. If I don't know you, I really want to know why you did that. This is probably one of the single most important things that separate a good marriage and a bad marriage. Who's right? Who's wrong? There are situations that come up in marriage. You will, you will have situations where your wife says something that you think is completely, totally off the wall. I don't care how beautiful the day was. I don't care how beautiful Shana Rishana was. You will, the, the day will come. Your wife will say something, or your husband, or her, her, her husband will say something that. No, no, that's not true. That's I know that this it's like this. I know it's like that. Exactly. 
had a couple fighting over his his here's the scenario. They're in they're in the supermarket, waiting on a line, and they're there with this huge cart piled high, right? With all their stuff. And the guy walks over with two items and says, Excuse me, do you mind if I just go ahead? I'm in a really big rush. And the husband says, Yeah, I'm also in a rush. Ready? <laughs> the wife wanted to dig a hole right there and go to the floor. Because she actually knew this husband's wife, this guy's wife. Okay? So my show it. Okay? The husband was saying, and, and, and th- that came into my office, and the husband was saying, There's, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't like when people do that. I think it's a chutzpah for people to do that. There's an express line. So that happened, I looked, he says, I looked at the express line. There were three people on the express line. So you have to wait for three people. Why? My time is not valuable. I'm going to rush all stuff. I'm not on the express line. What is he doing over there? That's what the husband says. And the wife was saying, saying, it's disgusting. You can't do that. You can't be such a person. Like, she's saying, yes, can we tell you about Okay, who's right, who's wrong? <laughs> okay, now I have my opinion. <laughs> but that's, you know, there's a third opinion in the room. That's, that's... So I, what I actually told this couple, what I actually told this couple, like I told many couples, with situations like this, because then, then they argue, they look at me, like, like okay, so I'm going to be a place now, right? <laughs> and, and my response to them is, I don't know, I, I said, I have my opinion, you have your opinion, you have your opinion. There's one thing, do I know 100% who's right or who's wrong, I'm not sure, but one thing I know 100% for sure. One thing, I'm not a Navi, but this I know 100% for sure. When you're 95 years old, you will still disagree about this. You'll still be fine. And when you're here in the club, when your great-grandchildren come and ask you what you should do, you're going to say this and you say, so get used to it and, and, and you know, start working on it. Start, get used to the idea that you will never agree on this. And your marriage is going to have to fit around this. So, that's a silly example, but not so silly, but there are countless, countless examples like this. Window open, window closed. Uh, one, one thing that I've dealt with Quite a few times in my office the last, last year is vaccination, not vaccination. <laughs> and I'm going to be the poisonic on that. There's, there's who's right, who's wrong. And they will never agree. The husband wants vaccination, the wife doesn't want vaccination, they will never agree. There's a statistic that goes with this. John Gottman, John Gottman, I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but if you want to read a good book on marriage, anything written by John Gottman. Um, one of the statistics in his research is that 69%, basically 7 out of 10 of all marital disagreements are not resolvable. Absorb this for a moment. Absorb this statistic. 70% of all marital disagreements, a couple is in their 20s, they're arguing about something, they disagree about it. There is a 70% chance in every marriage, good marriages, bad marriages, makes no difference. If you're, if you're having an argument with your wife, there is a 70% chance that when you're 80 years old, you'll still be arguing about it. 90, 90 years old, you'll still be arguing about it. And this is the good marriages, and this is the bad marriages. This, when I saw this statistic, by the way, I understood the Mishnah. Well, right? Why Saifel Hiskayna? The word Saifel Hiskayna, touch it literally, it means it will last forever. Why would you want a Machlechus to last forever. And the answer is right here. If when, when does Machlechus end? What's the end of Machlechus? When does Machlechus usually end? 
If you've ever been involved in a machlekes, you'll know that some of you might have the, the, the urge to say machlekes ends when it's resolved. If you've ever been involved, been involved in machlekes, you know that most of the time it's never resolved. But it ends. You know when it ends? When it turns into a fight. When people stop, we're not talking to each other anymore. Machlekes is over, we're just not talking to each other anymore. Well, we're just yelling at each other. Now it's not a machlekes, it's just, just screaming and yelling and fight. A machlekes, that's the shem shemayim, it's like what's kind. If, if we could, if, if we understand that, that it's about Emmas over here. If we understand that it's about Emmas, we can disagree and we can continue to disagree forever. In a, mar- in a good marriage, when there's a disagreement, should I let this person cut in front of me of the line? Should I not let this person cut in front of me of the line? What's, what's more important than that machlaikis right there? The marriage, the relationship. If we can say, I will never agree with you, I think it's horrible that you... Yeah, that, that you don't let people walk in front of you on the line. Then, and but but you're my husband, and this is not this particular argument is not more important than the marriage. There are very few when when, when couples can look at it that way, they'll, you'll find that there are very few. There are, but there are very few machlokesim that are more important than the relationship. Just just to give you an idea of what happens when you realize it's not resolvable. What happens? I'm going to take the couple that I gave to you as an example. What, 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 do, what do I do with them in therapy? How do I handle it? Just say, okay, you guys are still going to fight about a goodbye? No. What happens is, once I realize that this is something that we're never going to resolve, we start talking about it differently. It's a different conversation. If I have to prove to you, if it's, if it's what you're doing is wrong, it's disgusting, it's horrible, if what you're doing is you're making yourself into a shmata, that conversation is going nowhere. Because it's about who's right and who's wrong. And who's right and who's wrong conversation doesn't go anywhere. But what happens as soon as I realize that I hold one thing and I hold something else and you hold something else and we'll never agree? Watch how the conversation changes. Because once I accept that, okay, I can't prove that you're wrong. So, so what do I do now? I can't tell you anymore. I can't prove to you. I can't convince you that not letting this person cut in front of me is, is horrible. So, you know what, what? What happens in the conversation then becomes... The conversation turns into something like this. It really, really bothers me. It, I, like, I, I feel embarrassed when I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the supermarket and my friend's husband comes over and it's so embarrassing to me. Like, I, 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 I just want to melt into the floor. I just feel so embarrassed. And then the guy says, I understand why you're embarrassed, but I, I feel like a shmata. I manage to feel like, like like people are stepping all over me. Do you hear the difference in the conversation? Each one is talking about their pain. Each one is talking about their feelings. There's a real conversation going on. And when this particular couple talked about it, it went back and forth like this a few times until he said, okay, I'll tell you what. When I'm in the supermarket with you, I'll, I'll let people go ahead. Not because I, I agree that I think he's doing what he's doing is wrong, but I don't want to embarrass you, my wife. Right. But when I'm alone, I do what I want. <laughs> and that was that. Was, that's where conversations go. As soon as we realize, we don't have to talk about right and wrong anymore. Um, this is similar to that. In a problematic marriage, this there is criticism of what you did wrong, and there's an express. And, and in a happy marriage, there's an expression of my perspective, my needs, and my feelings. This is this is what I just. This was the example I just gave. Criticism means you did you are doing something wrong or you did something wrong. And 
the opposite of criticism is just an expression of what I need. Almost anything that can be expressed as a criticism can also be expressed as a need. Think about it. Anything that I can say, you are doing something wrong, I can express it in a way of, I have a certain need. You know, you, when, we're sitting by the, by, when we're sitting by the in-law, by, by, my, by your parents at the Shabbos table, it's really, it's, it's really not nice what you do. You know, you, you're, talking, you're talking to your brothers, you're talking to your father, you're ignoring me, you, you know, I, 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 it's wrong. That's a criticism. The same statement, I could reverse that, and I could talk about my feelings. You know, when, you're sitting, when we're sitting by our parents, I, I, I feel kind of lonely and out of place when you talk to your brothers and, and, and your father, and, and, and I'm kind of excluded. Do you get the difference? No criticism of that. I didn't say you did anything wrong. I'm just, because if I tell you you did something wrong, there's probably going to be some kind of pushback. In general, when you tell somebody they did something wrong, if I'm, if I'm standing in a, in a hallway, if I'm walking down a hallway, and somebody's sitting there with their feet spread out, and I walk down the hallway, and it's a public hallway, and I have, I'm allowed to walk here, and the feet are all the way across the hallway, and I step on his foot. And he goes, ow, 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 ow. Right? I'm going to turn around and say, ooh, are you, are you, are you okay? Now, it wasn't my fault. This is a public hallway. He put his foot out there. He had no business putting his foot out there. But I hurt the guy. And all he's doing is he's saying, ouch. When somebody says, ouch, I respond. What if instead of saying, ouch, he starts yelling at me? What's the matter with you? Well, you don't can't watch where you're going? I'll answer him back. But you think you own this hallway? And then we get into a fight. In a marriage, if we say, ouch, instead of saying you did something wrong, the outcome of that conversation is so much better. In problematic marriages, people criticize. In happy marriages, there's an expression of perspective. Now, the, the, all these things that I'm saying, problematic marriage, happy marriage, this is what researchers have noticed. If you look at happy marriages, this is what they're doing. When, when 40 years ago, when they started bringing happy, bringing happy couples into the, into the therapy, they actually put couples in rooms. The researcher John Gottman did this. He put couples in rooms for a week with a camera, and researchers were watching them act, interact with each other in the kitchen. And after an hour or so, people forget that there's a camera, and they just interact. And they were watching happy couples, problematic couples, and they, they saw this. They oh my God, look, look what they're doing. Look how they're talking to each other. They're talking like this, they're doing that. These are the examples that I'm giving you. They notice that people who are happy in their marriage, they're not criticized. Wow, look, look how they're talking. They're not criticizing each other. They're saying what they need. They're saying how they feel. Aha, that's why they're in a happy marriage. That's what they were noticing. And these are the, these are the things that I'm, that I'm bringing up over here. Another thing that they noticed is defensiveness. When I say you did something wrong, it, it, was, it was really not nice what you did. You really hurt my feelings. What's the response to you really hurt my feelings? What did I do? What, what did I do already? You know, when, you, when we, were, we were there with your friends and you said... You know, you made a comment about my dress, or you made a comment about, about, about my shaitel. In front of my friends, it's so not nice. And your response is, oh, come on. That's not a big deal. You're becoming defensive. Or how am I supposed, how am I supposed to know that's going to hurt you? In happy marriage, they don't talk like that. In happy marriage, when my wife says, I was really hurt, the husband responds, is it just an open to hearing another perspective? Wow, I didn't realize that you, you were hurt from that. I'm so sorry that you were hurt. That's it. Yeah, but in my mind, I may be thinking, I, I didn't do anything wrong. But that's not, you weren't accused of doing anything wrong. Your spouse just expressed hurt. Think about it. Be open to it. 
Negative sentiment and positive sentiment. Negative sentiment in a marriage, the word sentiment means just the general mood in the house, the general feeling that's going on between us. If there's a positive sentiment in the, in the marriage, if things are just positive, things are we're, we're just happy, we feel good about each other, we're just friendly with each other, you can almost do nothing wrong. It's like things just, my husband forgot, always forgets to take out the garbage. I've heard a wife say, my husband always forgets to take out the garbage. <laughs> He's so cute, he just doesn't remember. I heard that. It wasn't a client, it wasn't a couple in my office. <laughs> it's just, this, you can't do anything wrong. Bad things are looked at as cute, because there's just a love, there's a positive sentiment. When there's a negative sentiment in the marriage, you can almost never do anything right. Because even when you do something right, it's, it's not, not it's looked at, you'll, they'll find a negative thing in there. You forgot, you remember to take out the garbage, but you, you couldn't see the milk carton that was on the counter, you couldn't just put the milk carton in right before you closed the garbage. In a negative sentiment, when there's a negative sentiment, we always see negative things. How do we get to a negative sentiment in the marriage? How do we get to a positive sentiment in the marriage? What the research shows, and this is so important in a marriage, like this is one of the basic, basic foundations of a marriage, the negative sentiment, positive sentiment. In order to maintain a positive sentiment in the marriage, there must be at least five positive interactions for one negative interaction. What that means is, what's, a, what's an interaction? I walk into the kitchen and I smile at my wife, or I say hi, or I say I love you, or, or, or I give her a kiss, or there's something nice that happens between us. That's a positive interaction. What's a negative interaction? It could be as simple as, that's a negative interaction. If there are Four positive interactions for every one negative interaction in the marriage. Four things. For every four times I smile and I say hi and I, and, I, and I do say something really nice or I say, you know, you look so beautiful or I love your dress, I love your shaitel. For every four times, there's one, oh, come on. Four to one. It should be positive. It's negative. The, the sentiment and the general mood of the home will be negative, will be angry at each other. You need at least a minimum of five to one positive interactions to shift the general sentiment between the couple to, to a positive place. And I'm, why that is that way is, is, is a much longer conversation, but that's the way it works. But five to one is only the beginning. And it's, the shift into positive territory is five to one. To have a solid, secure, positive sentiment, you need 20 to one. There was a couple, a, a couple that's, for every one negative interaction, there's 20 positive interactions, there are no negative interactions. The negative interaction is unnoticed. It's, it's just not there. It's, it's because everything is positive. But you need 21. What does this mean in practical terms? It means every single opportunity that you have to smile at your wife, to say something nice, you got to put a lot of checks in the positive sentiment category. you got you have, you have to keep on... Every, like, 20, for every one time... That if, you went, if you went to your wife one time, oh, come on, that's it, you, you're done. Because for the next 20 interactions have to be a smile something nice, a compliment, an appreciation. When you do that, you change the whole mood of the marriage. A husband walks into the kitchen to, to get something from the fridge or to pick up the, to get the mail that's lying on the counter and his wife is there and he walks by and he picks up the mail and walks out of the kitchen. He blew it. He blew it. There's an opportunity there for a positive interaction. Look at her. Smile. Say something nice. Just random, random... You, you need to put 20 to 1. You need to get stuff in that, in that column. It changes the entire mood of the marriage, the entire sentiment of the marriage. And when that happens, the next time you get into a fight, it won't even be a fight if you can get there. 
It won't be... Imagine for the last 20 times you interacted with your wife, there was smiles, there was compliments, there was appreciation, and then you did something really bad. You forgot something, like, something so obvious. You, you, she'll smile. It, it works. <laughs> it, really, it, it really works. You forgot to take out the garbage, she'll think it's cute. But only you didn't put the cap on the toothpaste, and the toothpaste all over the sink. She'll come and give you a kiss because you're so cute and messy. <laughs> but, but that's only if you have all, if, if there's a non-stop barrage of, of, posit- of positive sentiment, of, of positive interactions. This is basic, basic, this is marriage 101. A marriage, that, it's so sad, but a marriage that doesn't have this is one of the most basic foundations of every marriage. And if you look, and again, looking at the happy marriages, this is what they're doing. When they started doing the research, and they started looking, comparing happy marriages and sad marriages, and they were looking at these cameras in, the, in, the, in, these, in these apartments, that's what they saw. They said, well, look, he's smiling. He smiled again. She smiled. She just said something nice to him. Look what's going on. And then he did something wrong. She ignored it. This is what they, this is what they were noticing. Here's something else that they noticed. A big difference between problematic marriages and happy marriages. In the problematic marriages, we only have conversations that we need to have. Practical conversations. In a happy marriage, we always have conversations that we do not need to have. And this this is also extremely important. When we date, meet a girl, most of the conversations are meaningless conversations. Here and there we talk about something practical. Here and there we get into hashkafa, we get into meaningful things. But so much of the of the dating process is based on meaningless conversations. Just getting, just schmoozing. The most meaningful friendships are built on the most meaningless conversations. Think about it. Think about who your friends are. Think about the, the deepest friendships that you have. Where were they built? Were they built on a project that you you something that you had over there? Something that you had to do, that you had to talk about, or were they built on schmoozing until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning about absolutely nothing? <laughs> or things that you didn't have to talk about. It's not, it's not me, when I say meaningless, I don't mean that it's shtusim, but you didn't have to talk about this. Your life would have been just as good if you didn't talk about it. Husbands and wives, what happens after marriage is, in, in the problematic marriages, husbands and wives start to talk about finances, the kids, where we're going for Shabbos, your parents, my parents, there's so much stuff that has to be talked about. So we talk about it. And the whole relationship revolves around meaningful things that have to be talked about. That's not a friendship. The friendship is gone. If you dated and tried to build a friendship based on talking with you, you, you would never, you would never, you'd never become close to that girl. Uh, so what happens is all of a sudden we start to get married and the very thing that brought us close, the very thing that created the friendship in the first place is God. And this happens in so many marriages. This is one of the most common problems in marriage. That we dated for, for two, three months, or sometimes a year, and all we talked about was meaningless stuff. And we built such a beautiful, close relationship. And for the last ten years we're married, we maybe had three conversations that we didn't have to have. Everything else is really important stuff. You cannot build a friendship on that. The friendship disintegrates. This ties in also meaningless. When I say meaningless conversation, if you think about it, you don't get to know somebody from a meaningful conversation. You get to know somebody on a very deep level 
when you talk about the shlusim that are in your heart, when a child in you comes out, when the childishness in you comes out, that's when you start to get to know the pinyin. So discovering another human being requires meaningless conversations. If all you're talking about is things you have to talk about, you're, you're not you're not getting to know each other. You, the, the, the whole process of getting to know each other, of learning more about each other, is gone. And that brings us to dating. In, in problematic marriages, one of the biggest differences between problematic marriages and happy marriages is problematic marriages, the dating stops, there's no dating. Dating is a pre-marriage thing. In happy marriages, they never stop dating. Now, here, here's what I mean by dating. By dating, I mean a few things. First of all, what I just talked about. Do we, do we just get together and talk about things that we don't have to talk about, like we did on the dates? But there's something else about dating. What, what's the process of a date? There's two things going on on a date. Right? Imagine, you're sitting with a girl in a lounge. What's the two main things that are, ha- that are happening over here? In, t- in your mind, what are the two main things? Number one, I have to be really nice. Being nice is critical on a date, because I want her to like me. And number two, I want to figure out who she is. There's a curiosity. Being nice and curiosity. Being nice and curiosity. So now, I want you to imagine... Um, a couple sitting on a date, so a very firm couple, so in my world it would be a boy from BMG with a Beshyakov girl, I don't know how that translates <laughs> into the Chabad world, but the equivalent in the Chabad world, but you have a Yeshivisha guy with a, with a Beshyakov girl, and, and they're, and they're talking, and, and he says, you know, internet, yeah, I think that it's so overblown. You know, we live in an age, you put filters, internet is fine. Okay? Like, it's ridiculous what they're doing with internet. In my home, I'm going to have internet. In her mind, she's thinking, over oh, my dead body. There's no way anyone's bringing internet into my home. Okay? But she's on a date, she's on a lounge. There's two things that, de- that define the process. Being nice, so she has to stay nice, and curiosity. Like, who is this guy? Like, do, do I want to marry him? She's curious. Hmm. So she's not going to say, over my dead body. She's not going to say that. She's going to look him in the eyes, smile, and say, really? How come? And then they're going to talk about it. <laughs> and, and then she might say, you know, I think, you know, but the Gedalim said that, 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 that. And in his mind, he's thinking, in his mind, he's thinking, she's a primitive cave woman. <laughs> That's what's going through his mind. He's not going to say that to her. He's not going to say to her, right? Remember, being nice and curious. He's, going to, he's not going to turn to her and say, you're a primitive cable. And he's not going to do that. He's going to look at her with a smile and say, really, I, mean, I know that you don't say that. But, and they're going to talk about it for a half hour, smiling and, re- and remaining curious. And in that conversation, they're going to learn a lot about each other. She's, he's going to learn where she's coming from, and what's going on underneath, and maybe there are fears that she has, and maybe she heard, it was a story in her family, and maybe he'll learn things about her. And, and maybe her cousin went off the direct, because I'm going to things that, that will come up, and then she'll learn his background, and maybe, you know, in his home, his father said, you know, was very positive about internet, and then there's certain things that, they'll learn about each other. Now imagine the same couple, if they didn't have this conversation on the day, same couple, two years later, three years later, and he's in Kailul, so there's no need for internet. And the, the issue was never discussed. He walks into the kitchen one day, he says, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm leaving Kailul in a month, I'm going to work. 
So I just called Verizon and, and I, I got an internet account. Okay, now she's thinking, over my dead body. What do you think she's going to say? Over my dead body. <laughs> That's what she's going to say. And, and then he's going to say, you're a cavewoman. What's the matter with you? The dating process is over. That's what that means. The, the, the whole process of let's be nice to each other, let's be curious, is gone. And it goes out the window after marriage. There's a, the reason why it goes out the window after marriage is because suddenly it's, it's not just about curiosity, but it's going to impact my life. On a date, I'm not afraid it's going to impact my life because if it doesn't work, I just leave. In a marriage, there's a fear that it's going to impact my life, and it stops the dating process. So now it's not about being nice, and it's not about curiosity. In a happy marriage, they're able to maintain that. In a happy marriage, they can stay with that. You know, my wife, in a happy marriage, the wife hears that the husband wants internet, and she can stay in that process. She can stay focused. She can, she can say, how come? Can you explain that to me? Like, just like a date. And what I tell couples to do very often is, when you find yourself in a very heated debate over any issue, and you find yourself, you stop, find yourself yelling at each other, stop. And because you know, that you know that, remember the 70% rule? This is not going to be resolved. You know that this issue is not going to be resolved. 70% chance it won't be resolved. So, just stop what you're doing, because you're trying to resolve something that's not resolvable. So stop what you're doing and go on a date. Just stop it. Go on a date. Sit down, make a cup of coffee, and talk about it. Trying to be nice and trying to be curious. It's not going to be resolved anyway. So what are you yelling at each other? Can you go on a date? In happy marriages, they're able to do that. And again, when they were watching couples in happy marriages go through stuff like this, they dated. That's where they went. This is hard. Some people can do it naturally. If it doesn't come naturally, it's it's very difficult. But it's so, so important. I'm, I'm going through the four horsemen. Who said that? Yeah, this is, I'm going to the four horsemen here. So if you noticed before, there was defensiveness and criticism. Those are two of them. Now, now I'm going to do the other two. Good. Um, these four, what he was referring to is these four, there are four things that John Gottman says predict divorce. Um, he, can, he says that if he sees these four things in a marriage, there's a 95% chance of divorce. Um, in the firm community, that very often translates into a ninety-five chance, a ninety-five percent chance of a completely miserable life. <laughs> so, in a problematic marriage, arguments end because of contempt and stonewalling. What's contempt and stonewalling? Contempt means you give me your opinion. You say you give me an opinion, and I go, "Oh, come on!" That's contempt. I didn't argue with you. I just belittled you. Stonewalling is, I turn around and I walk out of the room. Or I just put my head down. I'm not talking to you. Both of these things end arguments. The argument is over. We're about to have an argument. We want, we want to talk about it, a very important issue. And, you know, I, I, really think, I really think we should go to my parents the Shabbos. We went to your parents the last week, Shabbos. And give me a break. Give me a break. You think, come on, what are you, what are you crazy? Or I turn around and I, or I just don't talk about it. Now it may be I have a really good reason. It may be that the last time we went to the appearance, it was a complete and total disaster. But but where's the conversation? The reason why arguments end in contempt of soul long, and this is important. It's not just bad needles. We could look at it as bad needles, but then we're not we're not going to solve this issue. 
Contempt and stonewalling are ways of calming intense emotions. And we all do this. We all do this from time to time. Have you ever heard of the fight or flight response? Right, if, if a tiger comes into this room, I will either fight or I'll run out of here. I'll pick up a chair and fling it at the... I, I, my mind automatically goes into a fight or flight mode. And what happens when they've, they've studied this in, in, in uh, these fMRI machines... When somebody goes into, into, have you ever seen these brain scans where they show the electrical activity in different parts of the brain? When somebody goes into fight or flight mode, the decision-making centers of the brain shut down. It sounds like I'm talking science, but this, one, this is one of the most important things to know in marriage. When you, when if, if a tiger, if a lion walked into this room right now, let's say a real lion walked into this room, the decision-making centers of our brains. We're all shut down. We're not in decision-making mode. The thought process is gone. The judgment pro- We act from a, from a deep, primitive part of our brain that doesn't think. We're just going to go into automatic mode. We're flooded, we're overwhelmed emotionally, and we go into an automatic mode. It, we, we, the heart rate goes up. Survival. We go into a survival mode. And survival needs either I'm going to attack or I'm, I'm going to withdraw. The same thing happens on an emotional level. On an emotional level, if I feel I'm emotionally challenged right now, if my emotional survival is at stake, I go into emotional fight-or-flight mode. And I'm either going to shut, and I have to shut down. So either shut down or I attack. Contempt is an attack. Contempt is a way of saying, you know, just uh, give, give me a break. Just just lay off. This is ridiculous. That's an attack. Stonewalling is, is, is a way of pulling away from the conversation. What they found is when people stonewall or they, or they, they show contempt, Internally, the decision-making centers of their brain are shutting down. That's really what's happening. They can't. They cannot engage in a conversation right now. And, and, and sometimes people need to learn how to do this. If you find in your marriage that there's a lot of stonewalling and a lot of contempt, don't ignore it. Sometimes people just remove themselves just to avoid situations. If you find yourself avoiding situations a lot, don't ignore that. Um, in good marriages, they don't avoid situations. Everything is addressed. Everything is an engagement. There's a concept called bids for connection. In a good, in a happy marriage, they, they, this is one of the things that they talk about the most when they were watching these couples in these rooms. Imagine I'm sitting in the kitchen and I'm reading the newspaper or looking at my phone, which is and. My wife looks out the window, and she says, oh, this is not a nice bird. And let's say I have no interest in birds. I really don't. Like, every bird looks the same to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the middle of reading something. I'm in the middle of reading my email. I'm in the middle of reading the news. And I'm just kind of busy. And right now, birds is I'm really not interested in birds. What my wife just did now, is it about the bird? Yeah. It's about connection. She just put out a bid to connect to me. That's what she did. And it would be the same thing if she were cooking, and I was sitting there reading my news, and said, wow, this is so interesting. So remember what Trump, Trump said today? And she really doesn't care. But it's not about Trump. It's a bid for connection. I'm trying to connect with her. When a husband and wife bring up little things to each other, usually the meaningless things, bring, when I mention a meaningless thing to my wife, or she mentions a meaningless thing to me, it's always a bid for connection. And in happy marriages, it's looked at as a bid for connection. That's, they found that difference constantly. 
that in the couples that were happy in their marriage, there was a constant, what, was, what, what they call turning towards the bid. So turning towards the bid would be, I put down my phone and walk to the window and say, wow, that is an interesting bird. I never saw a bird like that. Not because I give a hoot about the bird, I don't. But I care about my wife. And I want to connect her. And if she's interested in the bird, I want to try to be interested in the bird. If I'm interested in the news, she wants to try to be interested in the news. In happy marriages, they found, they were watching couples. There's a whole write-up on this that John Gottman did. They were just watching couples, and the researchers were like, oh my gosh, look how, how she just said that. She's reading the paper, and, and he just looked over. And then she, she said that, and he just looked over. In the problematic marriages, they weren't doing that. They, they weren't doing that. The couples with the wife were saying, the wife was saying, isn't that interesting? And the husband would go, mm-hmm. And, and that's the way that... And think about this in terms of what we said before about positive sentiment and negative sentiment. If every time my wife throws out a bid, I connect, I turn towards that bid, think about what happens to the sentiment in the marriage. If every time we bid towards each other, there's a turning towards that bid, think where the sentiment goes. If every time my wife throws out a bid, I go, mm-hmm. Think what happens to the sentiment the other. It's a negative interaction. Every bid for connection is either moves, moves the marriage to positive or moves the marriage into a negative place. In the in in connecting with each other, expressing love. What's love? Now, if anybody here is familiar with the concept of, of love languages, yeah. there are. I mean, they use five, but there's really many more than five. But there are many different ways of expressing love. What does it mean? How do I say I love you to somebody? So one way is to say I love you. To some people, that means nothing. And I, I, I've had conversations, I've heard couples talk, I've heard conversations where a wife might say to the husband, I, I, I don't, I, how do I know that you love me? So... He says, he says, what do you mean, how do I know I love you? I, love you. I, I, I don't stop saying, I send you cards, I don't stop saying I love you, I buy you gifts, I, I always tell you I love you. She says, yeah, but when was the last time you gave me a hug and a kiss? And the husband goes, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, an hour later, I'll meet with another couple, and the wife says, how do I know you love me? I don't feel like you love me. And the husband says, what do you mean? I'm always hugging you, I'm always kissing you, I'm always touching you, we're always close together. So he says, yeah, but when was the last time you said I love you? And the husband goes, right? This, love means different things to different people. And for some people, touch is critical. For some people, touch is critical. For some people, words are critical. For some people, acts of service are critical. Doing something for me. You know, taking out the garbage for some spouses is an act of love. And for some spouses, it has nothing to do with love. You're just supposed to take out the garbage. Quality time. For some people, quality time, you cannot feel loved or loved without quality time together. For some people, quality time is irrelevant. It's just if, if, we, if we have physical touch, if you tell me you love me, quality time, it's nice to have quality time, but it doesn't say I love you. And, and gifts is very important for some people. A gift means I went someplace and I thought of you in that place. I was, I was somewhere and, and I just thought of you. And I got this because I thought of you. How do you know what your spouse's love language is. How do you know what means I love you to your spouse? And the answer is you don't. It's part of the discovery. And what makes this even more interesting is on Monday there might be one love language, on Tuesday there might be a different love language. <laughs> and I've seen that. And it's, it's, but you, so you don't know that without curiosity, without always asking, without talking to each other, without accepting that we are so very different. 
that what means love to me doesn't mean love to you. And what means love to you doesn't mean love to me. If, if I love, if I love vanilla ice cream, and I want to express my love to you with vanilla ice cream, so I go out and buy you this big bucket of vanilla ice cream, but you like chocolate ice cream, I will it. So I need to ask you, what flavor do you like? I can't buy you the flavor that I like. What, what I've seen happen with this, what happens all the time, is that if I give you a love language that's not yours, if I don't give you the love language you need, let's say physical touch is the most important thing for my spouse. Or let's say, let's say words is the most important thing for my spouse. If I don't give her a physical touch, or I don't say I love you, all the other things that I do give will be resented, will be despised. And that's why you hear people say, I don't know, I, I, I do everything for her. I do everything for her. I, it, it, there's nothing, she doesn't have to lift a finger. Yeah, but she wants a kiss. She wants a hug. That's, there has to be an understanding and respect to what my spouse and, 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 be, and if I'm not getting what I need from my spouse, let's say, let's say for me, I need, I need, you know, she, she's always doing stuff for me. She's making me suffer, she's doing this, she's washing my clothes, and that's how she expresses love. I just wanted to say I love you, I want to spend time together. And then I get angry at her, because we're not doing that. You can't get angry. So she doesn't love me, because she doesn't, she doesn't want to spend time together. No, no, no. You have to tell her. I want to spend time together. That's important to me. It may not be important to her. Maybe it, because her love language is different. Um, Skip, we really cover this. Uh, let, me, let me just, yeah, let me, let me touch on this briefly. The single most important outcome of any argument in the marriage is the marriage itself. We touched on this before. In every argument, there's the contest and content and the process of the argument. There's what we're arguing about, and there's how we're arguing. Just keep in mind that every single argument, when I, when I have an argument with my wife, we disagree about something. We're, we're going to discuss where we're going for Shabbos. We're going to discuss which is she we should send our kids to. The single most important outcome of that conversation is what? It's not which is she my kid is going to. It's not what we're going for Shabbos. The single most important outcome of that conversation is what is our marriage going to look like after that conversation. That's more important than anything else. Because it's relevant to the next 80 years of how we're going to live, how we're going to live together. Um, something I wanted to talk about on the slide before with love languages. In terms of intimacy, this is so, so important. I actually didn't put a slide up for this, but let, let, me, let me put this out there. Physical intimacy, for mostly, I'm going to say men and women, and I'm going to say the difference between men and women, but literally everything that the literature says men are like this and women are like that. I've seen it both ways. So, I'm going to say men and women, but sometimes it's the opposite. For most men, so let's say for most men, physical intimacy is a way of becoming close. Okay? If I wanted to get close to my wife, physical touch, intimacy, closeness, sexuality, these are things that bring us close together. That's for men. For most women... Physical intimacy is something that we do when we're close. It doesn't, it's not something we do to bring us closeness. It's something we do when we're close. Think about the problems that can cause. Okay? We just got into a fight, and I want to get close to you. So let's be physical, and then we can get close. It's a way of coming close. So the husband is, wants to, and the wife is saying, no, I cannot get close. And, I can't be physical until we're close. 
So, so let's be physical, then we'll get close. If you get into a fight with your wife, you better find some other way besides physicality, besides physical, besides intimacy, to get close. Because otherwise it won't work. And what happens is, this is really a love language issue. It's, it's a subset of love languages. Physical touch means something very different. It doesn't mean we're going to get close. It's an expression of closeness for a woman. For a man, it's not an expression of closeness. It's, it's a way of getting close. And again, I've seen that both ways. In a problematic marriage, hurt feelings are expressed as anger. In happy marriages, hurt feelings are expressed as hurt feelings. Think about every time you get angry. If, let's say you called me you called me stupid right now, right? And I got angry at you. What happened in between you calling me stupid and me getting angry? Something happened right in between. Before I got angry. I got hurt. And if I and if I didn't express if I if my hurt is too painful for me to hold on to, I'm gonna get angry at you. In a marriage, when two people are angry at each other, when I have a couple in the room, in my office, angry at each other, the, the goal is, instead of saying what you're angry about, can you say why you hurt? What hurt you? Behind every anger, there is hurt. Think about it the next time you get angry. Next time you're angry, stop and say, what's hurting? What's, what's painful for me? And express that to your wife. <coughs> Instead of expressing anger. When the anger, anger creates distance between people. Hurt feelings create closeness. Um, let, let me, let me pause. Any, any, any questions going on? Anything that some people's minds? Yes. Remember, if I get, if I'm really angry, the system's literally shut down. I'm not in the decision-making place. If that's the case, if you feel like this, or you notice me as spouse like that, there's just this overwhelming flooding going on, don't do anything. But you in your senses, do it right now. If the emotions are too intense, don't do it now. In, in the happiest marriages, this is the goal. The goal is, can you get the marriage to a place where you can do that now? In the happy marriages, they have these conversations in the moment. They Instead of... Instead of Saying, you know, you you're you're a primitive, you're you're a cave woman, or you're you know, over my dead body. They actually have a date. Right. That's the goal. That's what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to get into. If you're emotionally flooded, don't do it. What, what I what I would try to help that that couple do. Can you sit with those emotions right now? What are you feeling? Like that? Can you feel that anger? What's, and, and what's going on behind that anger? Are you feel you feeling really hurt? Can you express that hurt to your spouse? Can you express that pain? Can you tell your spouse how 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 hurt you were? It's with emotions. Don't don't run. Don't in, in the happy marriages. They're not running away from their emotions. They're they're sitting with them, discussing them, talking with them. Even if it's intense and even if it's painful, it's it's an avoid. Though what you're saying, you're right. What people do is they become defensive. They go on the attack. And they have bad marriages. So any of these things, what I'm giving you today is, this is what the happy marriages look like. This is what the miserable marriages look like. If you can't get here, go bell. Because this is what your marriage needs to look like. If you want a happy marriage, 
It's what's ever on the right side of the screen. If you cannot get there, go for help. There are people that can help you get there. But that's what you want that marriage to look like. That's what you're aiming for. Those really things. A lot of these things take a lot of work. Let me just finish up these two slides. Because um, they're, they're really important. In a problematic marriage, there's only room for two adults. In a happy marriage, there's room for two adults, but there's also room for all the little children that live inside of us. You can hear the violins playing in the background. (laughs) A happy marriage is often the only place in the world where we can safely express the lonely, scared, vulnerable child that is crouching inside of us. There's make room for that in the marriage. It's so important. And this is part of the not knowing. I know the adult in you. And you know the adult in me. We could sit here and talk for five minutes, and we will know the adult in each other. And when couples talk, they know the adult in each other. And the reason why they don't know anything about each other is that a whole kindergarten that comes along with us is not there. There's a... The difference between an adult and a child on an emotional level is zero. There is no difference. If you want to understand the emotions of an 80-year-old, just look at a 5-year-old. Hopefully, when by the time we're 80, you know, the we could, we could, we don't, we don't walk around the street crying. But when you see a little baby crying, go screaming, go kicking, that's us. We just learned how to keep it inside. In a marriage, you want to make that the place where it's okay to be that person. And, and what that means is the second slide, which is, in a problematic marriage, we share the practical and important parts of our inner world. Important and practical. Conversations are about important and practical. In a happy marriage, we can share the irrelevant, the impossible, the silly, and the childish parts of our inner world. This, if I want to do something... Ridiculous. I'll, I know I'll never do it. It's those childish things. When people go to therapy, they share these childish dreams that they're ashamed to share with anybody else, so nobody else knows that. You cannot know someone. This, this, this statement is so important. You cannot know someone without knowing their dreams, and the more impossible the dream, the better you'll get to know them, because the deeper you're going. Always remember that in discussions with husbands and wives. Husbands and wives are afraid to express to each other the silliness of their lives. Be open to it. If, 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 a, if a spouse wants, let's say one spouse wants to move away from the community, I, I want to move to Alabama, and the other spouse wants to have a child, this one doesn't want to move to Alabama, and this one doesn't want to have a child. So they're not sharing with each other. I want a child, but I know my husband doesn't want it. I want to move to Alabama, but I know my wife doesn't want it. We know we're not having a child, another child, because my husband refuses, and we know we're not going to Alabama because my wife refuses. Can we talk about it? Can I sit with you and cry about my dreams of having another child even though I know we're not having one now? Can I tell you how much I want to go to Alabama because I know, even though I know we're not? Can I tell you I want to go to the moon? I want to be an astronaut. Do you know how much you learn about a person from all those silly childish things? That's how you get to really, really know people. So we can ask more questions, but I, I just want to end with a bracha before the last question. My bracha to all of you, here's my bracha to all of you, is that many, many years from now, right? When you say you're 95 years old, you'll be sitting in the kitchen with your wife, sipping a cup of tea, and picture the scene, 
You've been married for over 70 years, sipping the tea, and you look into each other's eyes, and you say to your wife, let's talk, because I really want to get to know you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.